0: You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Man, it's fun watching that. It takes you right back to watch that again. And you guys, it was an incredible, incredible week. I didn't realize how taken I would be by these kids. Uh, they were they were amazing kids, and uh, I know all of us on the team, we think of them a lot. Uh, on the first, the first day with the kids, or so, maybe the second day, there was one little, one little boy came up to me and he said, do you play video games? And I said, oh, sometimes I play video games. And he says, do you play Black Ops 2? And I said, well, I haven't played that. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure if you should be playing that either, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, he says, you look just like this guy in this video game. <laughs> so. We were off to a good start. And it was, <laughs> the guy's name is Leroy, not the, not the kid, the character that I look like, apparently. And, and so the whole week, kind of the running thing with this group of boys that was getting bigger, the group was getting bigger and bigger every day, where they go up to another boy and say, doesn't he look like Leroy from Black Ops 2? And, yeah, he really does. And so I, I had no idea what that even meant or who that was. So I kind of forgot about it. I went home and uh, forgot about it for a while. And then a couple of days ago, I was curious. So, I Googled it. I thought, I wonder what this Leroy looks like. And, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's the ears. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, really. But, uh, Leroy. Uh, but really, they were good kids. Very good <laughs> kids. Let's uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this morning. Uh, it's been wonderful to lift your name on high together with our church family. And I thank you for the body of Christ that certainly is so much around the world. Lord, you are you are increasing your kingdom, and you are increasing your kingdom in Garden Hill as well. We thank you for what we saw you do, and I pray that you would continue to do mighty things in Garden Hill uh, in whatever way you choose for the sake of your kingdom so that many hearts will come to trust you. And God, I pray that you would bless the rest of this morning. Uh, I thank you for your word that you've given us. I thank you that you've given us uh, Titus chapter 3 to learn from. And I pray that you uh, you would guide me as I speak and that you would open hearts, that no matter what it is that I say, that your truth will prevail in all of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been working through the book of Titus, and uh, today we are moving to Titus chapter 3, and right after I'm finished preaching, I'm actually on holidays, so in conclusion, I would like to say, just kidding, we actually have to get into this, and this is a great passage, and we're going to be encouraged by a lot of things in Titus chapter 3 today, I think, But to begin, I'd like to read some scripture that's not actually part of this passage. Uh, You'll find it on the top of your sermon notes if you have that from the bulletin. It's a couple of verses from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to read that because those verses are going to set the stage, I think, for what we're going to learn from Titus chapter 3. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Amen. You know, no matter what letter of Paul we read, no matter what church or individual he was writing a letter to, Uh, on the forefront of his mind, always, is this idea of us being ambassadors for Christ. Uh, And generally, what an ambassador is, in the way that we use that word, is it's somebody who is from a certain country, and that country has given them authority to speak on behalf of that country to people of other countries. And it's really the same thing for us in the kingdom of God. If we are believers in Christ, we are a part of God's kingdom and our role as representatives of God's kingdom is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ however we can and whenever we can to this world so that more will be saved and enter into the kingdom. And that's, that, is, that is the calling of a Christian. That is, that is what our role is. We are ambassadors for Christ. And in this whole letter to Titus, Paul's primary concern, and we've been reading Titus for a while now, his primary concern is that the Christians of Crete are to properly represent the gospel to the people of Crete who desperately need to hear the gospel. In other words, he's concerned whether or not they are being helpful ambassadors for God's kingdom. And that's what today's passage is about as well. So I'm going to read the passage, and as I read it, maybe a couple of words that you can pay attention to uh, that I think are key words in today's passage are the words profitable and unprofitable. There's a contrast here that Paul is working with between the words profitable, which means helpful, And unprofitable, which means unhelpful. So I invite you to stand, and uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Titus chapter 3. This is verses 1 through 11. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility to all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that... Having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him you may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, we're going to divide this passage into three sections. In the first section, verses 1 to 3, Paul is identifying behaviors that are profitable to the spreading of the gospel. And then in the third section, if we skip over to the third section, verses 9 to 11... Paul identifies and discourages behavior that is unprofitable to the spreading of the gospel. And the middle section, which is verses 4 to 7, that's the gospel. Just pure and simple, that's the gospel. And we're going to start with that today. Um, Maybe it's strange to start in the middle of a passage when we're looking through a passage like this. But it's kind of like, maybe you've noticed sometimes when we teach a song on Sunday mornings, we'll sing the chorus first. Uh, t- as we're teaching this new song to you that you're learning for the first time. We'll sing through the course, and then we'll go back to the verse, verse 1, and sing through the whole song. And sometimes the reason for that is, is, is that it's the course upon which the whole song kind of hangs together. Verse 1 and verse 2 make more sense in light of what the course is. And it's kind of the same way with this, this passage. We're going to look in the middle paragraph first because everything in this passage is about the gospel. And the gospel is in the middle of this passage. So we're going to start in verse 3. Verse 3 says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. The gospel starts with a picture of ugliness, a picture of the ugliness of sin, which is as it should be, because the story of the good news, which is the good news, the gospel means the good news, the story of the good news of Jesus Christ has to begin with how helpless we are without him. And we certainly were helpless without Jesus Christ. And this description in this paragraph would be the picture of you and the picture of me, the picture of every one of us if it were not for Christ. Without the Spirit of God enabling us to show love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which we taught at Garden Hill all week, without the Spirit of God enabling us to do that, this is what our inner life would consistently look like foolishness, disobedience, malice, envy, and hate. And truth be told, if we're honest with ourselves, even this morning, we still struggle with all of these things. Sometimes. And even as Christians, we have to choose every day whether to live by the Spirit or to live by the flesh. And without the Holy Spirit in us, each and every one of us wouldn't have that choice because at the core of us, we would be without choice. We would be enslaved by sin, hopelessly stuck, so before putting our faith in Christ, no matter how outwardly moral, how respectable or religious we may, we may be on the outside, in our hearts, without Christ, everything about this list is true about us. And we would have been eternally separated from God because of our sin. And we were helpless to change that. Sometimes we sing amazing grace. Uh, "Tis grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved. Um, it is so important for us to consider what it is that we were saved from. We, we should have been separated from God forever, but because of the gospel, we are not. And praise God for that. And so on the, right after we've, we've seen this ugly picture of sin comes verse 4. This is one of the best transitions in all of the scripture, I think. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, here Paul is referring to Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, and he appeared on earth as a man, And he took all of our sins upon himself, and he died on the cross, bearing the penalty for my sin and for your sin, uh, and bearing that so that we don't have to bear that. So it says, when that kindness appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. The word here for mercy in the Greek is uh, eleos, and that refers to the outward manifestation of pity, and assumes need on the part of those who receive it, and sufficient resources to meet that need. Pity is a hard thing for us to sometimes wrap our mind around, that we would have to be pitied, but certainly we were pitiful. God saw us and loved us in the helpless state we were in. He took pity on us because we were deeply in need, and he had the sufficient resources to meet our need. Then the text goes on to say, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. I think in our church, and I think in Christian life, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit nearly enough. And that's, that's strange. That's strange because of all of the persons of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit is the one that is involved in our lives the most intimately. Because when we repent of the ugliness of sin and put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we're saved from sin. And at that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit. And he cleanses us, and he renews us. And this is what it means when Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. It is by the power of God's Holy Spirit that we are truly born again as new creations and given a new life within a real kingdom of God. And we still struggle with sin. Every day we struggle with sin. But the Holy Spirit has changed us so that we no longer are without choice, we can choose not to sin. We can choose to honor God because the Holy Spirit is giving us the ability to do that, having renewed us, given us rebirth into a new life in Christ. Praise God for that. And, and we, are, we are free. Next verse. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Justified is a word that we've talked about as we talked about Ephesians this past year. And the way that my kids... Understand the word justification is this. Before we put our faith in Christ, we have a label on us. And we have a video at home that, uh, that has this. There's a, a label. And that label is sinfulness. But because of our sinfulness, we can't have a relationship with God. Because of this label, God sees our sin. And he is holy. And he is perfect. And he would be less than what he is if he had a relationship with someone who is sinful. And he will never be less than what he is. But he loved us. And he sent his son to die for us. So now, when we repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ's forgiveness for our sin, our label changes. So this label comes off, and a new label comes on, and that label says righteous. And after that, in the eyes of God, we are righteous. Free to have relationship with God. Free to be with God forever. Because he sees us with righteousness, as righteous instead of sinful. And that, and that's the gospel. That's the most important blessing that we have ever received. And may we never, ever, ever take it for granted. And actually, as amazing as that one paragraph is, it's really not the point of this passage. Paul is making another point. He wants to draw our attention to two things in light of the gospel. And number one, he wants to draw our attention about how we should live in order to benefit or to profit the spread of the gospel, in order to profit those who don't know Jesus yet. Uh, he wants to show us how to live in such a way that they will see the gospel in us. And number two, he wants to, he wants to talk to us about what to do about those who are interfering, interfering with the spread of the gospel. So let's go to uh, the next section, which is going back to, to verse one. Going back to verse one. And remember that prior to this passage, and this was from uh, Doug's sermon a couple of weeks ago, Paul's been giving instructions um, to the Christians in Crete about how to treat each other respectfully and honestly. So that, maybe you remember the so that's. There was lots of those in that passage. So that no one would malign the word of God. And so that no one would be able to say anything bad about God's church. And so that the gospel would be appealing to all nonbelievers. Remember, this is... This is all about the gospel. Our calling, the bottom line, is that we are ambassadors for Christ. So he, we, are, we have been receiving instructions in Titus chapter 2 about how to treat each other so that people will see how we treat each other so that the gospel will be appealing to them. And now in chapter 3, he's making a shift. And instead of instructing believers about how to interact with each other, he's instructing us how to interact with society around us. Again, so that... Others will see our actions and be drawn to the gospel of Christ. So Paul starts off by instructing that we as Christians should be subject and obedient to government authorities. And this was important, especially then, uh, because one of the ways to discredit the Christians in the first century was to say that they were subversive to the government. Um, Paul is concerned about the reputation of the body of Christ we're not sure about the timeline, but probably a year before the writing of this was when the palace in Rome had been burnt down, and uh, some people had been blaming the Christians for that, so there was already reputation that was being smeared. Uh, historians say that this was, a, this was not a true allegation, but it was, it was Nero uh, finding a scapegoat uh, to, to blame a people group for it, so the Christians were already losing reputation on that front. And also, just the Roman culture in general, they didn't know what to do with this Christian group it was a new religious group a group that met behind closed doors and, and there was rumors already starting about the evil things that Christians were doing in secret so even in the time of Jesus even before that the religious leaders were trying to trick Jesus you remember uh, them coming up to him and saying you know should you pay taxes to Caesar knowing that Caesar Caesar was setting himself up as god and so they're saying to Jesus are you going to honor Caesar you know, and and that would be a contradiction to what to what uh, he'd been saying. They were trying to trick him then, and and the masses at the time, the the, the general population, believed that Jesus was going to topple the government. Remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry a week before he he was killed? Um, they were they were believing that he was coming to to change things politically, but Jesus showed that his kingdom had nothing to do with changing the government. His kingdom is about changing lives from the inside out. And that is why, as ambassadors for Christ, our main mission is not to make the government change. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of great organizations, Christian organizations and not-Christian organizations, that are taking a stand politically in various ways in order to promote morality in society. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But expanding the kingdom... Of, of God is not primarily going to happen by us changing the government and changing laws because we can't, we can't legislate morality and we can't legislate faith. Only by hearing and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ will people ever be saved and experience inner transformation in their lives. And this makes me think about Garden Hill. Um, my whole life, I've heard lots of things about the dysfunctional relationship between the Canadian government and and uh, the First Nations people. I've heard lots of things about dysfunctional relationships in the leadership of some of the reserves and, and where all the money goes and different things. And I've heard about seemingly insurmountable problems that have arisen for that population of people in our country. And I, I think in the back of my mind when I went to Garden Hill, I, I think I was sort of hoping that in my, in my one week there, I would gain some insight. I would maybe understand a bit more about some of these bigger issues, the political issues, and I, I really got nothing. I, I don't think I learned anything about that. But one thing I, I did see um, is that what Pathway Camp Ministries is doing is on the right track in a way that nobody else, or at least in a way that many people are not on the right track. Because what they're doing is not trying to go in and change a whole system. Um, they're not trying to make a group into a Christian society. There's been lots, lots of bad things that have happened over over time of Christians in the name of God trying to make other people into Christians and even even with the First Nations I think the residential schools sometimes has been an example of that Uh, this is not what Pathway Camp Ministries is doing what they're doing is discipling kids they're showing love to kids they're showing graciousness to kids and we're seeing God transform kids' lives. And then we're seeing kids that are getting too old for the program that have been going through the program at Garden Hill for 7 years and now they're coming back some of them as counselors and so they're still being discipled. And as they continue to get older, I don't know what's going to happen next. I know in some of the in some of the other reserves pathway ministries is is doing youth programs now and maybe that'll happen in Garden Hill too, but as they as these teens get discipled and turn into adults, then you've got Then you've got a ministry that's discipling kids and teens and adults, and that is how you expand the kingdom of God. Not by making people change, not by legislating change, but by telling people the gospel and letting God change people from the inside out. In the next verse, Paul says, always be ready to do whatever is good. May it be true that the society around us sees us as genu- genuinely caring and genuinely helpful to others because that paves the way for how people see the gospel that we preach. And again, in Garden Hill, I saw a community that's come to trust and welcome Pathway Camp Ministry, and it's not because Rick and Elizabeth Greer asked them to trust them. I'm convinced that it's because it's, it's been seven years of of the same people respecting the people at Garden Hill and showing love and goodness to the people of Garden Hill and being willing to help with whatever uh, to the people of Garden Hill. Um, I got the impression when I was there that that this has been a relationship that's been building and now we've heard from Denise this morning how everything worked so smoothly and and they were willing to to meet us at the docks they had the keys and they had the trucks and everything they were willing to help in so many ways and, and we felt so welcome but I got the impression that this isn't a relationship that didn't start that way it's been building and I'm convinced it's because, it's because of, of Rick and Elizabeth and Pathway Camp Ministries being ready to do good, just like in this passage. So whether as individuals or as the church, the more that we can demonstrate that we are ready to provide help and do good things whenever we can, the more believable the gospel will be to those around us. Next, Paul says that we are to slander no one. Probably that is not an easy thing to do or an easy thing to avoid, especially in the sketchy culture of... Crete, but it's also a challenge for us today. Have you, noticed, have you noticed how easy it is to be negative in our society? I think it's more than easy, I think, I think it's often encouraged. I've worked in a lot of different jobs in my life, and some of my workplaces had a culture of negativity where it was normal to stand around and, and slander the, the management or complain about the boss. That's not so much the case in my present workplace, thankfully. Terry's probably going to listen to this online later. So, Honestly, it takes some effort and courage to be the person who doesn't join in on slanderous talk. Have you noticed that? Negativity likes negativity. And if you end up not joining in, you might get labeled as self-righteous. You might get labeled as kind of a goody two-shoes. But uh, in the long run, in the long run... Um, Christ-likeness and being Christ-like in how we approach something like that is always going to lead to more opportunities to share the gospel with others. And that's been my experience in the past as well. And finally, Paul says, be peaceable and considerate, and show true humility to all people. Humility is the essence of the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 reminds us that Christ, despite his equality with God, made himself nothing out of obedience to his Father and for our good, and that we as his followers are also called to consider others better than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And that's easy in relation to some people that we come in contact with, but it's harder in relation to others. Some people are very difficult to be humble and vulnerable with. And in our culture, it is normal to write somebody off that you don't like or who doesn't like you. It's normal to say, if you don't respect me, I won't respect you. And when somebody wrongs us in our society we feel justified for shaming them and for making them feel small and then we walk away and say i really told him off i really i really got him and that's that's not the road of humility that is not the road of Christ likeness sometimes we do have to say things that are hard to people sometimes we have to correct people and or we have to stand our ground in a tough conversation but humility still calls us to love others as we would love ourselves because every person that we interact with, no matter how they treat us, is someone who desperately needs the grace of God just as much as we do. If, if you've been here for almost 20 years, for those of you who have, you might remember a, a, a line that was powerful for me uh, from a Dave Henkelman sermon from a long time back where he said, no matter who you lock eyes with on any given moment, on any given day, that person is loved by God and that person desperately needs Christ. And that is totally true. And so we need to be careful we need to be careful. Every person, even the ones that, that bother us, even the guy that phoned me the other day and told me something was wrong with my computer, even though I don't know how he knows that from wherever he is, uh, even that guy, he really needs Christ, and God loves him. Uh, it, is, it is our role to be humble, and it is our role to be gracious. And that's why Paul gives us some perspective about how we are better than nobody else. He says in the next line, And this takes us back to the gospel. For at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, etc. Except for the grace of Christ, we are all on a completely level playing field. And so we cannot look down on anyone because all of us are in the same boat. And that's why the gospel is placed right in the middle of the passage where it is. So it gives us the perspective about being gracious in a difficult society because we all would be equally lost if it were not for Christ. So then we get back to the middle passage where we started and we're going to skip over that and skip down to verse 8 where Paul says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable. And there's that word. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And the trustworthy saying that he's talking about is the gospel itself. He's saying the gospel is trustworthy. Verses 3 to 7. And so he's saying, keep stressing this gospel to the people over and over again. Keep emphasizing the truth so that people will devote themselves to do what is good. That is, live with each other in society in Christ-likeness and, grace- and graciousness. Then he says, these things are excellent and profitable for all. And by these things, he means our actions. If we are living out the gospel, if we are being loving and gracious as, as, as Christ to those in society around us, These things are good for everyone, but they are especially potentially profitable for non-believers who might notice the distinctly different and righteous ways that we're living and be attracted to the gospel that we're preaching. Because our mission is to be ambassadors for Christ wherever we are. And then there's one last section. Paul contrasts behavior that is profitable for the spreading of the gospel with behavior that is unprofitable for the spreading of the gospel. And that's verses 9 to 11. He says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time, and after that have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. I'm not going to lie to you. I I found out I was going to do this passage, and my first thought was, oh, great, I've got the shunning passage you know, the idea of shunning, and that is removing people from the fellowship. That's a, that is a very uncomfortable idea. And I very much believe that passages like this have been misused lots of times uh, over, over the years. It's been misused to, to shame people and control people in ways that uh, God did not intend us to use these words. But still, these words are scripture. There is a place for this. And I think that what we learn in this passage is that fellowship sometimes needs to be broken. And it needs to be broken when the unity of the body of Christ or the clarity of the gospel is at stake. When people's actions in the church threaten to jeopardize the unity of the church or the teaching of the true gospel, Paul reminds us that we have to deal with these things. Because, again, it's all about the gospel. And our first role is to be ambassadors for Christ and spreading the true gospel. And we can't... We can't let that be compromised. Now, these verses are most likely referring to the false teachers that we heard about back in chapter 1. Uh, these were people, possibly within the church itself, who were teaching a kind of a gospel that was different than the true gospel. They believed that in order to obtain salvation, just trusting in Christ wasn't going to be enough. You also had to dot every I and cross every T of, of the old Jewish law and in, in order to be saved. And so when Mark preached on this last Sunday, he called this uh, the Jesus plus something else gospel. The Jesus plus dotting all the I's and Jesus plus crossing all the T's. The Jesus plus doing all these things to somehow earn the gospel. And if you think of it, or to earn the salvation, but if you think of it, uh, if you have to earn salvation, what is, what is grace? What, is, what did Jesus die on the cross for? Uh, and so that kind of teaching only serves to confuse the gospel. So understandably, this was causing arguments and discussions that threatened to destroy unity and also threatened to completely confuse and distort the gospel of Christ. And so when you have a church of people that are arguing and becoming divided, and if you have that happening, it is a terrible witness of the gospel, first of all. And a distortion of the gospel itself makes it almost impossible. Well, it makes it impossible for somebody to hear what is true because the words aren't true that they're hearing. So Paul is saying that if these false teachings continue, they have to be silenced. And if our main mission is to be ambassadors for Christ, pre- presenting the gospel to the world, the witness of the church and the clarity of the gospel must be protected. So application for us is that a Jesus plus gospel cannot be taught in this church. And neither can a, G- a Jesus minus gospel, because that's a real thing too. It's not in this passage. But any gospel that doesn't require a realization of sin. You notice the gospel that we just looked at in verses 3 to 7. It starts off with our helpless estate. It starts off with our sinfulness, and then it says, but those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are justified by grace. So any gospel that doesn't involve a realization of sin and a repentance of sin and acceptance of the grace of Christ is also not the true gospel. It's a, it's a Jesus minus gospel. It's a gospel that says, just think positive thoughts. And there's people that are on TV that say stuff like that. Don't worry about sin. Jesus just loves everybody and everything's fine. That gospel can't be taught here either. Recently, I went to see a a Christian movie. And there's this one scene where it seemed like this was where the gospel was going to be. One character in the movie asked another character a question. And I was leaning forward in my seat in the theater waiting to see what the answer was going to be because this was the moment where where the gospel was going to be presented and really what followed after that well it was disappointing but it was what it was was basically don't worry about it Jesus loves everybody there was nothing about sinfulness there was nothing about accepting and believing there was nothing about putting faith in Christ there was none of that and I came away from that and, and that's a Jesus minus gospel by the way, but I, I came away from that movie angry a little bit, you know, because I, I thought this is, a, this is a Christian movie, and it's, it's, been, it's been touted as that. And anybody who went to see it, if they didn't know Christ already, when they left, they were farther from knowing Christ, because now not only did they not know Christ, they also heard something that was different than the gospel, that wasn't even true. Um, we can't control what people put into movies, but uh, we have to be cautious about what is being voiced here in our midst, So I'll say it like this, if you are not a believer in Christ, you are very, very welcome here. We are glad to have you with us. If you're not a believer in Christ and are making choices that the Bible would call sinful from what you've been reading, you are very welcome here, and I hope that you will find this to be a place of grace and a place of love. If you are a believer in Christ and you're struggling with sin in your life, maybe you're struggling with sin big time in your life, you are very welcome here. I hope that this can be a place where you find healing, where you find people to walk with you. If you just don't believe the gospel at all, as it's written in Scripture, uh, the gospel that I, I preach from, from this passage today, if, if you don't believe that, you're still very welcome here. But if your mission is to try to spread within these walls a gospel that is different what is taught here, if your intent is to try to avoid or to try to divide the church um, and teach something that is, is different than what the Bible teaches and divide the church by doing that, then we have a problem. Then we have a problem. But even then, even then our first response has to be grace. And that is why Paul is saying that the divisive person should be warned once and then, if necessary, warned yet again. This is We have a God that gives us chances and chances. Um, we've seen that all the way through Scripture. And so if, if we have a situation where somebody is distorting the gospel in our midst, grace should be offered, absolutely. But if the divisive behavior continues, if the gospel is being taught and proclaimed in a way that is going to confuse the church and confuse our mission and confuse those around us, then fellowship has to be broken, according to this passage. And lovingly, It has to be broken, and I'm sure painfully, but for the sake of the unity of the church and the clarity of the gospel. For our mission is to be ambassadors for Christ, representing his gospel through our actions and our words and protecting the truth in how the gospel is presented. That is what is profitable to unbelievers because it might lead to their salvation. So maybe we have a couple of questions that I can leave you with before my my final point here. Uh, Just a question... Have I owned my role as an ambassador of Christ? Is that who I really believe that I am to be? Is that what I really believe that my mission and purpose is, is to honor Christ with how I live and to teach and pass along the good news of what he's done to whomever I can, whenever I can? Have I owned that? And how am I representing the gospel to the world around me? I invite you to consider those things. And just one final thing. Uh, Over these last few weeks, we've been... Using Titus to explain our discipleship continuum uh, every every week there's been another part of the continuum that we've we've uh, we've been looking at, and so today I want to briefly talk about the continuum gratitude to praise. We believe that that these are these are things of christ likeness and the top thing. The top thing on the on the continuum is from Christ to Christlikeness, from what it is to become a Christian and to be newly born again, as we talked about before, but this idea that, that the Holy Spirit is changing us. He's changing us and he keeps on changing us. And as he changes us, we're gonna get deeper. We're gonna become more Christlike and we're gonna grow closer to the Lord in in our life. And all of these things in the continuum are different aspects of things that are constantly changing, that the Spirit of God is, is changing in us. And so Today is gratitude to praise. The scripture passage we studied today contains one of the most comprehensive presentations of the gospel in all of the Bible. And our response to the gospel, our response to the salvation we have in Christ, it should be profound gratitude. We did not deserve to be saved, but God saved us by his grace upon our faith and upon our repentance. And we should be grateful. And then, now, we have the Holy Spirit. So as we grow in Christlikeness by the power of his spirit, our lives will become more obedient more God-honoring, more consistently worshipful. So by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we are moving towards more deeply and holistically praising God with our lives. And uh, that's, that's, that should be our response to the gospel. And that is what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and what he's doing in me. And on that note, we're going to end our service with a song. Uh, there's one song that we sang in Garden Hill that I think has been probably the favorite for the kids for at least two or three years now. I've been hearing about it from every team that's come back. It's called Sanctuary. Um, and what it is, it's, it's asking God, just like what we just, just talked about, asking God to change us so that we will be a sanctuary of his praise. And uh, you should hear the kids sing this song with passion. I'm going to invite the, the Garden Hill team and the worship team up, and we're going we're to sing this song together.